The following sermon audio has been brought to you by Christ Church Downtown. For more information, go to Christkirk.com. And all God's people said, Amen. Let us rise and worship the triune God. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And also to you. From Psalm 90, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let's pray. Eternal God, we worship you in Trinity and Trinity in unity, neither confounding the persons nor dividing the essence. You are one God and not three. You are one eternal, infinite, and uncreated God, a most pure spirit, invisible, without body, parts, or passions. We confess that you are high and lifted up and above our comprehension, and yet in your love you have created us to know you. You have created us for fellowship as images and worshipers to testify to your glory and to bring you praise. So, Father, we thank you for adopting us. Jesus, we thank you for being our older brother. And Holy Spirit, we thank you for blessing us with your comfort and presence. Receive our worship now, one God, world without end. And all God's people said, amen. Well, we continue on through the book of Proverbs. Last week, we asked the question, what is flowing out of your heart? And this week, we come to Proverbs chapter 5 and have another water stream fountain metaphor that is given to teach us wisdom. So this is Proverbs 5, 15 to 20. These are the words of God. Drink water from your own cistern and running water from your own well. Should your fountains be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be only your own and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of your youth. As a loving deer and a graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all times and always be enraptured with her love. For why should you, my son, be enraptured by an immoral woman and be embraced in the arms of a seductress? One of the fastest ways to destroy your life is to commit the sin of adultery. In this passage, you have Solomon, hardly the model of marital fidelity. How many wives did Solomon have? 700 and 300 concubines, right? And yet he's still giving some wise advice to his son about the dangers of the immoral woman. It was immoral woman that led Solomon into idolatry. And if anyone should have known about the consequences of adultery, it should have been Solomon, his mother was Bathsheba. His father was King David. His half-brother Absalom started a civil war, and all of this could have been avoided if men and women had simply kept their marriage vows. One man's sin in one moment of weakness ruined an entire nation. That is what adultery does. Well, just as adultery is destructive, so also a faithful marriage is constructive. And of course, we want the latter. We want healthy marriages, happy children, and God's kingdom to grow. So how does this happen? 
Well, in this passage, Solomon illustrates what Paul will later say explicitly. And that is that loving sex between a husband and wife is the best guard against adultery. Satisfaction in the marriage bed is what holds civilization together. When a man and woman are united physically in love, they are doing more than just pleasing one another. They are waging war on their sins. They are guarding themselves against temptation. And they are symbolizing with their bodies Christ's love for the church. Marital sex is a gift of God. So the exhortation is this. If you are married, be frequent and joyful in your relations. Obey God in offering your body to your spouse, for it belongs to them. 1 Corinthians 7, 4. And if you are unmarried, continue to discipline your body with all honor and self-control. For this will benefit you if you do get married. And as Paul says in 1 Timothy 4, 8, godliness holds promise both for the present life and for the life to come. May God give us grace to be doers of this word. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Father, we confess that we are an adulterous people. We surpass Solomon with the harems we keep in our heads. We resent our spouses. We are bitter in our hearts towards them. We are selfish in the marriage bed, and there is no love in our hearts. Save our marriages, we ask. Spare our children the grief of divorce. Repair and rebuild that which we have torn down in our own lust. And cause your grace to abound where our sins are abundant. We confess those individual sins to you now and Selah. We ask all this in the name of Jesus, and amen. amen. Please rise for the assurance of pardon. From 1 John 2, 1-2. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Saints of Christ Church, because you have confessed your sins, it is my joy to announce to you that your sins are forgiven through Christ. We continue in our study of Ruth. I'll be reading uh, the last section of chapter 1 and skip ahead to the end of chapter 2. These are both of uh, Naomi's speeches that she gives. Now the two of them, Naomi and Ruth, went until they came to Bethlehem, and it happened when they came to Bethlehem that all the city was excited because of them, and the woman said, Is this Naomi? Then she said to them, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth, the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. Now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. 
There was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech. His name was Boaz. So Ruth and the Moabitess said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. And then from chapter 2, verse 17. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening and beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. Then she took it up and went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. So she brought out and gave to her what she had kept back after she had been satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where have you gleaned today, and where did you work? Blessed be the one who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he of the Lord who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead. And Naomi said, This man is a relative of ours, one of our close relatives. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this word of your transformation of a woman, one of your people. Lord, I pray that your word would be working powerfully among us, that we would turn our hearts fully to you, and so, like Naomi, bless you. We pray that this would all be to your glory. In Christ's name, and amen. So, do you know anyone who is bitter? Are you related to a bitter person? Are you living with a bitter person? Are you, are you that bitter person? In our story, Naomi is a bitter woman. In Hebrews 12, verse 15, we are told, look carefully lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Naomi has a thick root of bitterness that has sunk down deep into her heart over this last decade. She is bitter at God for taking her husband and her son. She is bitter at, at Ruth for for making that stupid decision that she thinks of coming back with her to her God and to her people when she thinks that there's no kindness there. She's bitter, and she announces it to all of her old friends that they can't call her Naomi. Don't call me pleasant anymore. Call me bitter, because the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. Naomi is a bitter bitter, bitter. And you think, what can, what can change this woman? What can uproot her bitterness? What can heal her pain, restore her, and make her a new creation? And maybe you've wondered that about that bitter person that you know. Right? Naomi is so bitter at the beginning of this chapter, but by the end of it, right, she is blessing God. What happens to her? What happens to this woman? 
Naomi receives the grace of God. And it comes staggering through her door in the arms of Ruth, who is loaded up with the kindness of Boaz. Right? She experiences the loving kindness of God. And we see in this passage how God uses Boaz and then Ruth as ministers of his grace that turns Naomi from her bitterness to blessing. So I, I want us to be able to see here in this passage how our sovereign and good God is both reconciling this woman to himself, and he's also doing it through his ministers of reconciliation. Right? And still, this is intro right here, and I know this is going a little beyond our normal introduction length, but let me read what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17-20. So this, I, I think this sets us up well for what God does in this passage. He says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. The old has passed away. That means that all your old bitterness, your resentment, your sins have passed away. Behold, the new has come. And this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. Right? That's the glorious gospel of his grace right there. God reconciling us to himself. But it goes on. And, and he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. God reconciles us to himself, and then he turns around and says, all right, you who have been reconciled, I'm giving you the ministry of reconciliation. Paul says, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. That's what this passage is about. We see how God is going to bring reconciliation to this woman, Naomi. And he does it through his ambassadors. He does it through his ministers of reconciliation, Ruth and Boaz. All right, so first, we'll quickly review the first half of the chapter that we've looked at a couple of weeks ago. And we're going to highlight uh, Boaz's extravagant grace. So in verse 1, we are introduced to Boaz, and he is described as a mighty man. He is the grandson of Nashon, who is one of the princes of the sons of Judah. This is not really that important, but I, I discovered this in my research this last week. Um, I'll give it to you. So in the rabbinical tradition, this is not scriptural, but rabbinical tradition, uh, the tradition is, is that when Moses commanded the Red Sea to part, that it didn't split apart right away. And it wasn't until Nashon stepped into the water and kept walking into the water until it was all the way up to his nose did the water finally part. So this is, this is the lore of Grandpa Nashon. So he is a leader among the peoples of God. And he has a son named Salmon. He marries a woman named Rahab, the harlot. And it's in this family, with this heritage, is born Boaz. He is a mighty man, a wealthy man, a princely man, a godly man. And in verse 2, uh, Ruth requests permission from Naomi to go glean in the field. It says, in whose sight I may find favor, that I can find 
grace. And Naomi says that, yeah, sure, you can go. And probably mutters to himself, like, fat chance you're going to find any grace out there. And it says that, and Ruth happens to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. Like, the narrator winks at us. As luck would have it, Ruth, by chance, goes to Boaz's field. And we give our best Kronk impersonation. Ruth went there by luck. Right. Oh, right. (laughs) It's not luck, of course. It is God directing her to this field of grace. And then Boaz comes from Bethlehem and greets his servant. Says, the Lord be with you. And all of his harvesters stand up and respond, the Lord bless you. Perhaps you'll remember my application I gave to you is feel free to give me a Lord be with you anytime you want and I can report that my neighbors the Swanton boys have heartily taken up this application this command that I gave them and they there's a they have a a large teeming garden uh, in their front yard and multiple times each day I am greeted with the Lord be with you and I look over and there's this smiling face coming out of the tomato plants (laughs) I love it The Lord bless you. I just wish that everyone in the congregation would as cheerfully and consistently apply like the Swanton boys. So are they here? They're not here. Okay, well, Swanton boys, good work. Keep it up. In verse 8, we see Boaz shows his loving kindness, his grace to Ruth. And his grace comes to this woman through his words, through his water, through his bread and wine. That's how Boaz's loving kindness comes to this woman. And I give you full permission to run ahead of me and find Jesus in this. So first, Boaz's grace comes to her full in his words. In verse 8, he identifies her in familiar terms. He says, my daughter. And tells her not to go into other field, but to work close by his young woman. Right, Boaz says, you should think of my people as your people. He promises her protection. Have I not commanded my young men not to touch you? Right, Ruth was in a vulnerable position. She's a woman. She's a widow. She's uh, a Moabitess from the hated country of Moab. But Boaz speaks gracious words to her of inclusion, provision, protection. And then in verse 9, Boaz offers her water. He says, and when you are thirsty, go to the vessel and drink from that which the young men have drawn. I just think that water is so needed in a hot Uh, day, long day of harvesting. He's looking out to her, but he's also saying, let my servants serve you. You don't have to go provide your own water. I will provide water for you. And again, we think about Jesus meeting that outcast woman at the well, offering her living water whenever she is thirsty. And by this point, the weight of Boaz's kindness is just too much for Ruth and she falls on the ground falls down at her face and says why have I found favor in your eyes why all this grace 
that you should take notice of me since I am a stranger. And Boaz is just getting started. So he extends his grace through his words, through his water, and now we see through his hospitality at his table. Verse 14 says, Now Boaz said to her at mealtime, Come here and eat of the bread and dip your piece of bread in vinegar. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed parched grain to her and she ate and was satisfied and kept something back. So we see here that Boaz welcomes the stranger and treats her as if she's part of his own household. You belong. He makes a place for her at his table. You know, in your Thanksgiving family gatherings, if there's not enough room for you at the real table, what happens? Right? You get demoted to the kid table. Right? Some of you are like 29 years old, and you're still at the kid table. Come on, Mom. Right? But what is Ruth, what, is, what happens at Boaz's table? Right? She is not dismissed to the poor people table. She is not relegated to, oh, the outcast stand over there. This is not for the Moabite table. No, he makes space for her at his table. She says that this stranger now belongs. Think of what is served here at his table. It's bread and vinegar, bread and some kind of sour wine. Uh, Sound familiar? Bread and wine. Ruth eats and is satisfied, and she even keeps some back. There's plenty. There are even leftovers. So we see that Boaz shows hospitality to the stranger at his table. Who is he like? What is he doing? He is like Jesus. Jesus brings his loving kindness, his grace comes to us through his words that he speaks. This is the gospel. He preaches the gospel to us, and then we are welcomed in through his water. We saw that this morning with Graham. He is welcomed in uh, through the water that our sins are washed. And then he makes a place for those who are hungry, for those who are outcasts, those who are the sinners at his table. And we should be like Boaz. We are the people who have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, and so we ought to be like Boaz. So the question is, who are the roots in your life? Who are the roots that you can invite and say, come here and eat my bread and wine? I love it if we are a church full of Boazes. You're looking around, even after church, like who are the people that I can invite in? Who are the people that I can invite to the parish discipleship groups? Be a Boaz in the U of I Commons. Be a Boaz during your cafeteria lunch. Who are the people on the outside that you can invite in? And notice what he has to offer. He says, come and share our bread and sour wine. <laughs> right? Quite the invitation there, right? And I know what that sounds like. 
Franzia, right? Sour wine, it's pretty much, we got Franzia. We got this cheap bread and cheap wine. What was that? Balsamic vinegar. There we go. But that also, I mean, that's delicious as well. Balsamic vinegar. Uh, what is this? It is a simple fare that he has. What does he offer? He offers what he has. This is not a grand preparation with, with cloth, napkins, and crystal. Boaz gives what he has. And God works powerfully for that. Doesn't God love to do that? We only have five loaves and a few fish. What is that among thousands? Jesus says, watch this. The multitude eats and is satisfied in their even leftovers. Just like at Boaz's table. So Ruth has received all of this grace from Boaz and she has just made it through lunchtime. She's eaten at this table of grace and then she stands up and goes to work in Boaz's field of grace. Verse 15, Boaz gives instructions to his young men. He says, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her and let grain from the bundles fall purposely for her. Leave it that she may glean and do not rebuke her. Right, so at this point, Ruth is not even just a gleaner. Right? She's not just picking up the leftovers out in the field. She is a full worker. She's a harvester. And at the end of the day, she beats out what she has gleaned, and it's about an ephah of barley. That's about 30 pounds. Uh, I did a little conversion. Um, that's about eight-gallon jugs of grain. Right? So fill up eight-gallon jugs and try to carry eight gallons of milk. This is a massive armload. Uh, this would normally be like uh, uh, what you would earn in about two weeks of work. She gets it all in one day. And she's not only full, but she is staggering home under the weight of all of this blessing. Talk about God providing for you beyond what you are able to ask or even imagine. Verse 18 then she took it all up and went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. So she brought out and gave to her what she kept back after she had been satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, where have you gleaned today? Actually, no, it's like so much more than just what you can get from gleaning. So where did you work today? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. And then Ruth tells her great story, what happened today. Before we get to Naomi's blessing, just quickly notice that Ruth shows another biblical principle. Right? Ruth shows that she understands the responsibility uh, of a family to care for her aging parents. Ruth understands that it is her responsibility not just to take care of herself, but then also to take care of Naomi, she's working hard, she's making all this, and it's not merely for her benefit. Most likely, Naomi is an older woman now. She's a widow. She's too old to go out and work. And yet, Naomi gives out of her excess. Paul lays out the principle in 1 Timothy 3, 5, uh, 3, verse 4 and 5. Honor widows who are truly widows. 
But if a, if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them, her family, first learn to show godliness to her, their own household and to make some return to their parents. For this is pleasing in the sight of God. And Paul gives a very, very strong warning. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So the biblical responsibility is for children and, I didn't pick out this before, grandchildren. Children and grandchildren to take care of their parents, their grandparents, when they are older. Why? Paul says, to make some returns to their parents. So, did not your mom and your dad feed you and clothe you, care for you, change your diapers and all that? Right? That is a lot of grace. And you had the opportunity to honor your parents in return. Children need to learn godliness here. Paul says that this is pleasing in the sight of God. So how can we do this? Just two practical ways. The first is through physical provision, right? That's the obvious one. Make sure your parents have the essentials, food, clothes, shelter, and recognize that all of this costs money. Even while you are working and receiving income like Ruth, you should have in mind to care for your parents, right? Setting money aside, intentionally saving to provide for them, right? That's what Ruth was doing at lunchtime. Sneaking some uh, some bread into her purse for later. Another way is that Ruth not only cares for her through provision, but she shares her story with Naomi. She gives her time to Naomi. Right? Ruth has been hustling all day. She's tired. She's emotionally exhausted. I'm sure she's just lugged a bunch of food home, and she still takes time to talk with Naomi. Naomi wants the whole story. Right? Sometimes your mom's like, so who was there? What did, what did they say? What, what did they ask about? What did you guys talk about? Right? And it's like, oh, man, mom, I'm tired. Right? Naomi is loved by Ruth through her words, through her time. This is a way to honor, to respect, to bless our parents. And then just a consideration for you aging parents, I'm getting there at some point too. Like, what kind of old parents are you going to be? Right? If this is the command that your kids need to take care of you, what kind of parents are you going to be? Are you going to be a bitter parent, old and crotchety? Or are you going to be a blessing parent, old and blessing? Right? We're going to see that there is hope because there is hope for Naomi right here. So Ruth unloads all of this grace upon grace that she has received. And Naomi responds with blessing upon blessing. She says, blessed be he who took notice of you. And Ruth says, it was Boaz. And Naomi gives even more blessing. Blessed be he of the Lord. He's using his covenant name, Yahweh. Blessed be he of Yahweh who has not forsaken his kindness, his, his hesed, to the living and the dead. This man is a relative of ours, one of our kinsmen 
Redeemer. Bless Boaz. Bless the Lord. What's happened? She has been transformed from bitter Naomi to blessing Naomi. She has received grace. Remember, this is exactly what Hebrews 12, 15 says. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. Naomi has opened up her hands and received the grace of God. Just think about someone who is bitter. What do they look like? <laughs> Laz is raising his hand. I love it. Right. Someone who is bitter is pinched, is squeezed, is sour, arms crossed. How much can you receive like that? But she has her hands open. Here's grace. Here's blessing from God. Taste and see, Naomi, that the Lord is good. I believe that Naomi has come to trust God and his kindness once again. Right before this, she has just referred to God as El Shaddai, as the Almighty. He is the almighty bully who's destroyed my life. He is the one who has taken my husband, my sons, my life. But here she calls God Yahweh, who has not forsaken his kindness, his strong covenantal love to the living and to the dead. I think kindness to the dead does refer to Naomi's hope that Boaz might be a kinsman redeemer, right? That there can be new life raised up through another son. I think that is true, and that's, we'll, we'll talk more about that next week. But I also think that there, there's a sense in which Naomi, for this whole story, has identified her among the dead. Right? She says, my life is as good as over. It's taken my husband, my son's, my life has been taken from her. And now, here it comes. She has come to trust that God is God. God is good even in life and in death. And going, going from bitterness to blessing requires death. You can't be free from bitterness without death. And I'm not talking about you killing the person you're bitter about, right? Not that. Naomi had to die to herself. And specifically her plans, her demands for how God should treat her. Right? We think that becoming a Christian means that God will bless our plans. We have ideas, we have plans for how God should bless us. Say, God, give me this grade. Give me this college degree. Give me this person to marry. Give me this house at this price. Give me this. And then I'll be blessed. And then I'll turn around and I'll bless you. And if God doesn't do all of that, we become bitter. Right? How could he? How could he? But what does God often do? He comes to us and requires that we give it all to him. Jesus comes as Lord and demands all of our lives. It reminds me of the story of Jesus in the triumphal entry when he's coming into Jerusalem and he sends a couple of disciples 
to go commandeer some guy's donkey and his foal. And he says that if someone asks you, what are you doing? You tell them that the Lord has need of it. And sure enough, the disciples go and start untying the donkey. And the donkey's owner comes out. "Uh, Excuse me. That's my donkey. (laughs) What do they say? The Lord has need of it. That's all the explanation they're given. The Lord has need of it. It's just, he's got the authority. He's got the right. And he demands the donkey. Right? What is Jesus doing? He acts like he owns everything. He's acting like he owns a place. And here's this. It is good news that Jesus is in control. That Jesus is in charge and you are not. Right? Consider, when have your plans, when have your ideas been that great anyhow? Right? When have you ever had the best idea for what your life should be like? Right? We don't know what is best for us. And it's good news when the Lord of the universe comes to you and says, follow me. Drop all your plans and come with me because I know you. I know what you're made for. I know what you need to be holy. I know how to kill your sin. I know your purpose. And it's good news when God demands that we give him everything. And that's when it's hard. That's when it's so hard. Because Jesus comes in and he starts demanding things. The Lord has need of your donkey. (laughs) But I need my donkey. I want my donkey. The Lord has need of your car. It's a perfectly good minivan. I just bought it. The Lord has need of it. The Lord has need of your health. The Lord has need of your mom. The Lord has need of your dad, of your son, of your daughter, of your wife. The Lord has need of all these. It's like, but God. And God comes in and he takes all of that. And here's the thing. Jesus can be trusted with all of that. He says, give it all up to me. And I can be trusted with it all. What does he do with that donkey that he has just commanded? He takes it, he rides into Jerusalem like a king, and there he gives it all up. He gives up his life in order that he might give it back to you. He gives up his life in order that your sins may be forgiven. He gives up his life in order that he will bring healing to you. He gives it up that he might restore you, that he will bless you. Do you trust that he is trustworthy? Do you trust that he is good? Right here in this story, we see the beginning of God reconciling a bitter woman to himself. 
turn her bitterness into blessing. And it happens through this ministry of Boaz and Ruth. Are you, are you bitter? Are you angry at God? I say, turn to him. Trust him that he is good, that he is gracious. And then, congregation, church, how good is it that you can then be brought in as ministers of reconciliation? Jesus is reconciling the world to himself. And what a privilege, what a joy that we can be brought in as those ambassadors. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have given us your gospel, that in it is the declaration that Jesus is king, Jesus is Lord, he is savior, and so he demands it all. Father, I pray that we as a people would be full of faith, that we trust that you are God, that you are good, and that we can receive healing from your hands and restoration and reconciliation. We pray all of this in Christ's uh, name who taught us to pray. Well, occasionally I catch Dave Ramsey on the radio. He's the guy that gives advice on how to manage your money and reduce your debt. But my favorite part of his program is hearing folks who have paid off their debt and they count down to a yell. We're debt free! Actually, it's longer than that. It's like, freedom! No, like that. It's really good. It sends shivers down my spine, actually. Now, if this freedom from financial debt is so exciting, shouldn't the excitement of the removal of our spiritual debt be our sin, be even more exciting? You know, at the beginning of this service, we confessed our sins, and we were assured that our sins have been forgiven in Christ. We responded with an amen, which, at a minimum, should be as exciting as, as the Ramsey countdown, right? We are debt-free of all of our sins, past, present, and future. So this is so amazing and exciting that we shouldn't be surprised if our amens sound like hollering. <clears throat> now, our freedom from debt of sin came as a gift, and we didn't deserve it, and we didn't do anything to earn it. It was given to us. Our God took on flesh, became our kinsman redeemer, taking our place, receiving the judgment for our sin. Now, on our study of Ruth, we continue to see how God's goodness and plan was revealed in God's redemption of Ruth. Remember, she was the Moabitess. The Moabites were enemies of Israel, and in the eyes of Israel, she didn't deserve any mercy. But through Boaz, her kinsman redeemer, we see God's redemption of Ruth. Was it just for her physical needs that God's grace through Boaz was extended? No. Was it just for her marriage, or eventual marriage, as we'll hear? No, we will see that she was redeemed, blessed in her marriage to Boaz, and ultimately placed near the head of the lineage ending in the birth of our Lord Jesus. And my conclusion is that the blessing didn't just stop at the removal. Our blessings don't just stop at the removal of the burden of our sin. God redeems us and then incorporates us into his body for our blessing and his glory. Like Ruth, we are more than just free from our sin. We are now part of a living Christ. We are joined in eternal blessings in Christ. And this meal is a testimony that we are part of his body and that Christ is redeeming the world. So come. And celebrate both your freedom from sin and your inclusion in the blessings of our kinsman redeemer, Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Oh Lord God, our Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for this perfect sacrifice on our behalf. Thank you for being our kinsman redeemer. 
thank you for placing us in this one body, Christ's body. So, Lord, remove any barriers to our unity in our hearts as we continue with this meal. Align us with your intents of your heart and equip us to serve you acceptably and with reverence and godly fear that we may see the world saved. That we may, and because we ask it in Jesus' name, and amen. So receive the, the charge. The charge is this. Well, you know, Paul, uh, Ty talked about bitter people. If you find someone bitter, including yourself, the best antidote is to be giving thanks, to begin to recognize the blessings that come upon you. Like uh, Naomi obviously recognized the blessings that came through Ruth, the big bag she was carrying in through the door there. So give thanks. Give thanks in all circumstances. Proclaim those thanksgivings out loud, not just internally, but out loud as you go through this week. And you will, in fact, be a minister of reconciliation as you do that, because giving thanks is contagious and transformative. Now receive the benediction. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen.